0: All right, well, let's begin with a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings, blessings which are given anew every day because you have made us your own in Jesus. Uh, We thank you for that that gift, the wondrous gift of salvation, adoption as your children. Um, And We pray that that sustains us through life's highs and lows and help us to share this truth and this joyous message of the gospel with others. Be with us today as we study your word, right? You have asked us to to do that, to be in your word, that we are like trees planted by streams of living water. Um, And so apart from your word, we cannot bear good fruit. Um, And so we ask that you use this time to bless us, bless us to um, increase our knowledge of our faith and to continually bear good fruit in us. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, last week, we did sort of the context of the book, authorship, and things like that. Uh, so, I wanted to show you this map um, because I meant to put it up last week as we were talking about all that to kind of give you an idea of where in the world uh, Philippi is. Um, and then um, we've got through the first 11 verses. And as I was like working on this Bible study, I, I was sort of <laughs> laughing because there was a story known among the seminary students. We had a professor at the seminary. Um, and he was the guy that wrote the, he's written the commentary on the book of Mark, but he also wrote the Greek textbook we use in our Greek class, Professor Jim Belts. Wow. And while he was a professor there, he was leading a Bible study at a local church through the book of Mark, and apparently it took like eight years to get through it. Because <laughs> when, so at great. that point, you're, you're so knowledgeable about Greek and all the words and everything oh, that you, you just like, they, I think they had whole sessions sometimes that didn't even finish a sentence. So, um, oh as I was like, as I was studying and preparing, I, I had to keep my eyes like. I only got four weeks. I can't. I can't get down on that level <laughs> because it is fun because you can get to, like, uh, I'll show you some of these. I'm confusing myself because my screen is the other way. There we go. So you can get, you can get in the weeds on words. Mm-hmm. Genitive singular feminine noun, right, and all that fun stuff. Oh. Um, so, but I'll spare you say that. So, I'll bring that stuff in in this class when it's relevant to like a particular thing we're discussing, but we're not going to really dig in that level just because we don't have time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But again, like I said to Rob's question earlier, if that's something you would like, let me know and I can make it happen. Okay, so. We're going to be starting off uh, Philippians 1, verse 12. So open up your Bibles to verse 12. And what we'll do today is we're just going to read sections here. Um, the theme verse for this section is verse 21. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. So that kind of sets the tone for this, this whole next section we're going to read here. So somebody want to read um, verses 12 through 18 for us. I'm doing
2: No, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole plate. Mm-hmm. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, Most of the brothers of the Lord have been been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me or my chains but what does it matter the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice
0: okay so a couple of things to point out here so this is part of the reason why we understand that this is written from Rome right so the what happened right I want you to know brothers, that what has happened to me? Well, what happened, he was arrested, right? Um, And then the arrest, if you know, the arrest began in um, Judea, and the Israel area, and um, he was essentially going to be, for the convenience of the pro-council, disregarded and just kind of put the rubber stamp on whatever the mob wants. But he appeals to his Roman citizenship, and then all of a sudden, that option's off the table, because... It'd be, he'd be in big trouble if he did that to a Roman citizen. So then it, he is appealing to Caesar, of course, and so he's on his way to Rome. So when he gets to Rome, he's in prison. And while the imperial guard or the palace guard, um, as your translation had it, are um, are there are, they are throughout the empire, they're mainly in Rome. And so um, those are all uh, things that give us the context in which Paul is writing to uh, the Philippians, right? Um, <clears throat> okay. And it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard that what is what has become known that he points out here.
2: He's in prison
0: for Christ. He's in prison for Christ, mm-hmm. right? So here you have a good example of Paul is in a scenario where if we're just thinking in worldly terms, there's no rejoicing, there's no joy, there's no like no purpose seen in what he's enduring. But in Christ, he says things like that the gospel is being advanced mm-hmm. because they know that the reason he's imprisoned is because he's imprisoned for Christ, because he preached Christ. Um, and that most... Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, what is he talking about there?
3: Maybe, I don't know exactly, but maybe because he is not there to say it. All of a sudden, now they have this
1: boldness or this mm. encouragement. to
0: say. Um, Not quite. Okay. <laughs> You're along the same lines, though. So it says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment.
4: Yeah,
0: I do. Right. So he's highlighting that the source <coughs> of their con- their new confidence is that he is imprisoned.
1: Right. Which is strange.
0: Right. Why Why would that Why would you think that might bring confidence to the brothers who are um, in Christ?
4: Well, because he can be that way in they're chains, and they're out oh. without chains on you know, They could do a lot
0: more than maybe. Right, There's yeah, there. yeah, right. So Paul is in a Roman prison and yet is still rejoicing in Christ, right? Um, so like that's like the worst thing I can imagine, being in a Roman prison, awaiting sentence for death. And yet Paul is like, and as we'll get to when we get to the theme verse section, Paul's not concerned. Notice that he doesn't really talk about his imprisonment. The only reason he mentions his imprisonment is because it serves what? The, the advancing of the gospel. It's almost you read it and it's almost as if if it didn't advance the gospel, he wouldn't really even bother to mention it. Right? That's how unimportant it seems to him, right? And so um and so that I like that in verse fourteen, and most of the brothers, having been become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And that's not as a weird a weird of a thought as you think, right? Um, taken by itself, that seems odd to us. But imagine, let's say, I'm trying to think of a, a good modern day equivalent. Um, let's think of uh, at a at a sporting event, maybe. You're, you're on a sports team, or your kids are on a sports team, and they're, they've started scheduling everything on Sundays. Right? So this, was, this happened when I was younger. Right? And if one parent vocally and publicly says, we're not going to be here, we're in church on Sunday... Would that not embolden others who may be thinking that, but they're worried? They're well, I might be the only person. I don't want to be like the weird, odd person out. I don't want people to think I'm a Jesus freak or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the guy or the the gal that's there that you know, you you think highly of, or just you didn't expect it from them, they speak out, and all of a sudden, you're emboldened. Right. And this was something I hammered with my parents at my previous church because. If all of the parents say our kids aren't showing up, what can the coach or the school do? They can't do anything. Because their authority is borrowed from mom and dad. Mm-hmm. It's given to them by mom and dad. So if mom and dad say, we're not going to do this, they can't do it, right? So so the idea of somebody enduring a particular uh, cross of their vocation, in this case it's Paul being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, emboldens the brothers in the faith. Right? Um, so we're, we're kind of familiar with that. We just don't think of it that way. So, so it is a curious thing to think of something that you would ordinarily categorize as a misfortune as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And what does it take to think that way? It takes thinking that really the main purpose of your life is this, to advance the gospel. <coughs> okay. if the purpose of Paul's life is to be well regarded by everyone he meets or to be successful financially or to have good standing in his community he's not going to have this sort of attitude while in prison but because he has the purpose of advancing the gospel and sharing the hope of Christ and the treasure that he recognizes that is for him then this is in service to that goal right? Um, and we've seen History uh, bears that out in the Christian church. there are a number of there are lots and lots of people who bear things for Christ, and you see that 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 is often the result of it right um, The whole idea of a martyr is based off of this right that uh, somebody is a martyr who in the face of death, even worse than being in prison, the goal is advance the gospel, glorify Christ right and and that really catches people's attention and they're not even trying to do that that's not why they're doing it but god works through that even still okay the next part some indeed preach christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that i'm put here for the defense of the gospel right so he gets into this in these next couple of verses that people are talking about jesus some of them sincerely others to make fun of Jesus or to make fun of Paul, but what is his, what is his conclusion from what's happening? What does I'm he say? Christ is
2: still being preached. Right, he said yeah.
0: that whether in pretense or by false motives or in truth, Jesus is preached. Now, I want to highlight that because um, I think it points to something that we can lose track of quite easily. Why doesn't the motive of the speaker matter?
1: He's just repeating what God wants us to say. I mean, he's, it's not his words. Not well, but, but, words. but let me
0: give you an example of what he's talking about here. Because the person who's doing it in false pretense, they're not they're not like reading a sermon that Paul gave them um, as a joke. They're talking as if Jesus is not the Son of God. Like, uh-huh. right? oh, have you heard about this? The schmuck down in cell seven, he's here because he's talking about this guy named Jesus. He says that guy died on the cross and rose from the dead. And get this, he says he did that because he was saving a bunch of people who who killed him. What a weirdo, right? That's kind of what he's talking about, right? So, why doesn't that matter?
2: Because the word, the, the truth of Jesus is still being out there.
0: Well, and and where does the power reside? In the speaker or in the word? In the word. In the word, right? And so this is a great comfort to me as someone who regularly preaches God's word. right? Because what if I mess up my wording or I say something that isn't clear? Or maybe the sermon just wasn't that great that Sunday. I just couldn't find a good... A good hook to draw you in I wasn't super emotional and evocative and I go away feeling man that could have been better or I thought of a couple of things during the sermon that I wish I had thought of three days ago right why don't I then fall into despair because it isn't about me right? it's not about the speaker right? And I, and I want you to really really believe that like when I say like I'm just the mouthpiece i I do mean that i'm not it's not some sort of false humility, and often like the little prayer that I say before I preach is to that effect is essentially like don't let me get in the way of what you're doing here right um, or if you've been at some churches the that you'll see the pastor he'll make the sign of the cross on his forehead on his mouth and over his heart, and he's essentially saying the same thing there right. He's saying, let my thoughts, my speech, and my emotions be yours, right? In other words, let what I say be yours. Or I've said this prayer out loud a couple of times before preaching. I say, let the collective meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth be well-pleasing in your sight, my Lord, our rock and our redeemer, right? Are all prayers to that effect, that understanding that the word is where the power lies, right? And Paul gets that. He knows that. That's why even when somebody's going around joking about jesus or or under false pretenses sharing that he's like the joke's on them right um and it, you can see it even too in the gospel reading today right what is the goal of the pharisees in in once we get into matthew 21 and following to
3: trick jesus to, trick
0: jesus to what end what do they want to happen to him
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: they want jesus gone yeah well who else wants jesus dead devil god the father does that's his plan all along right he wants jesus to bear the death that we deserve and so who are the unwitting co-conspirators of god pharisees the pharisees right and the pharisees even think they win right Um, i was asked to give a, a sermon during lent when i was at the seminary and they were doing like They were highlighting characters in the the passion narrative that often go overlooked. And I was asked to do one on Caiaphas, the high priest. And that was one of the, that when I started really looking in that, Caiaphas predicts that one man's death would save Jerusalem. Had no idea what he was talking about, but he prophesied rightly. And then all of his efforts to arrest and condemn Jesus and get him killed are all in service to God's plan of salvation, but he thinks Mm -hmm. he's thwarting them, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, you have a similar theme here where Paul understands that the power rests in the word and that these people Mm -hmm. are unwitting participants in the spreading of the gospel, even if they think they're making fun of it, because that's just the nature of how God works. And, And Pontius Pilate's wife's dreams, too. Right, right. And it's good news for all of us, not just the pastors, Mm -hmm. because that means that, like, let's say, one of the common fears that I hear from people when they're like, but pastor, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. What if I say the wrong thing? don't matter. Right? Well, the words are here for you. Just use the words. And if they don't understand them, or maybe you didn't articulate them the way that you would have liked, that's okay. The power is in the word, right? We believe that faith comes from hearing God's word. And our job is simply to share that word. Right? It, we don't have to add to it. We don't have to make it nicer or better sounding or anything mm. like that. Now, that doesn't <coughs> make, you know, go and be a jerk about it, but <coughs> God will use even that, honestly. like <laughs> If you get frustrated and, you, and you, you come across in a way that you don't want to come across, you should you know, apologize for that, but also understand that God works even through that. Because if he didn't work even through those things, he would get a whole new set of instruments besides us. Because that's what we do. right? We do our best to do the thing that he wants us to do and the way he wants us to do it, and we fail all the while. Right? And, so yet, if, and yet the gospel still is advanced.
4: Yeah. If God used these guys to get the end, I are mean, these guys off the hook for what he did or what?
0: No. I mean, like the person who's making fun of Jesus, yeah. they may themselves... Come to faith through the words that they're speaking in just the people who hear them may come to faith or hearing it, like mm-hmm. because they have the opposite have you ever said something to someone and it had the opposite effect you intended it to have yeah, yeah.
1: right
0: so uh, mm-hmm. that can certainly happen here but the base the big the big underlying piece here is that god's word does the work of salvation right mm-hmm. and and often we take too much of that onus on ourselves as the speaker of the word. And here Paul is highlighting that yeah. it doesn't matter if it's in false pretense or in truth. Jesus is being <coughs> right. preached, right? Mm-hmm. And he's going to work through that. Okay, next section. Um, let's see. Can I have somebody read one? Uh, let's see here. <coughs> I that. Uh well, I guess eighteen B, yes, and I will rejoice through twenty-one.
1: I'll read, but I have a new English Bible. <coughs> Not usually you. You like that. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. The fact remains that the good news about Christ is being preached, and I am glad. I'm going to keep on being glad, for I know that as you pray for me, and as the Holy Spirit helps me, this is all going to turn out good for my good. For I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that will cause me to be ashamed of myself. That I will always be ready to speak out boldly for Christ. While I am going through all these trials here, just as I have in the past. And that that I will always be in an honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I must die. For to me, living means opportunities for Christ, and dying, while well, that's better yet. <laughs> that's the famous verse of "For yeah. me to live is Christ, and dying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so it's
0: actually okay in this context for me if you're reading from a different translation because it can also highlight some nice points about mm-hmm. our understanding of the original language. Um, right. So <laughs> there are some things added in yours because yours is so. When you translate, your your one or two, one of two goals essentially. And then there's kind of spectrums in between. One, on one side, you want a wooden translation that's as true to the original text as possible. You get a little bit of that with the ESV. So like if you've ever been reading the ESV and you read something and you're like, did I read that right? Yeah, I read that right, but it sounded weird. Yeah. And it sounded weird because they wanted to try and stick with the sense of the original Greek, even if it cost a little bit of ease of reading on the English side of it. And then you have others, like this one, or like if you ever read like the New Living Translation, things like that, where they err a little bit more on, add, they'll even add words in that aren't really there in the Greek to smooth over the English reading of the translation. So like the opportunities for Christ phrase that you just said in there, to live, to live is to create more opportunities for Christ. That word is not there in Greek, right? It's part of the translation process. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is the Living Bible, I'm sorry. That's no, no, that's fine, that's fine. And there's a place for both of those. Um,
1: it makes more sense to me, you know, I mean, I get more out of it. But well, and, that's, and that's really,
0: so that's really the purpose of a translation like that, is mm-hmm. ease of understanding and reading on the, the part of the language it's translated into. Right, right. The trouble is, from the theological side of things, you're always taking a little extra dangerous step when you add your own words. In a translation. So sometimes it can be, um, it, can, it can lead you down some unhelpful roads, we'll say that. Um, the most extreme example would be like the message, which doesn't even really advertise itself as a translation. Um, and uh, I always kind of use that one as an example for people because when they do the Lord's Prayer there, instead of saying, give us this day our daily bread, it says, please provide three square meals a day okay now we would say that that's not a great paraphrase because we understand daily bread to mean a lot more than food so when you change the wording like that it makes it a little too focused on the food and not on the rest of the stuff that we believe god
1: provides us right
0: Uh, so so those are those are kind of the two the two goals and you'll probably most of your translations that one is somewhere in the middle right because it's not solely, like it's still trying to ma- remain faithful to the original meaning of the text. Right. But when we do a study like this, I usually go through the original language stuff to make sure that, you know, because we understand that to be where yeah. we want to hold to. That's why um, the Neva Bible was so much better than the KJV. Yeah, well, and, and there's, I mean, better for theological study and analysis, mm-hmm. not better for reading. Right, no, so you you exactly. you gain in one area, lose in another. So it's good to have both present, um, but also to recognize the potential dangers. Right, the potential danger of the wooden translation is people may not really understand what it's saying very well, or have a hard time reading it. The danger of the the easy reading translation is we might have added or took took something away that maybe unintentionally changed a meaning we didn't we didn't Amen. mean for it to to alter. So just as an example here, the part at the verse eighteen, where at the end he says. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then again it says, yes, and I will rejoice. In Greek, when you have repeated phrases and verbs, it is an emphasis. So it's like like he rejoiced with serious joy is the way that that's kind of understood. Um, or when it's talking about when the shepherds were afraid of when the angels showed up, it's like they were, uh, you, the, the King James Version, the famous one, is sore afraid. Um, maybe a better translation would be seriously afraid, like, and in the Greek, the, the verb for fear is, is doubled there. It's set, mentioned twice. So that is an emphasis there. So that's why sometimes you'll see a phrase repeated again that's almost identical to a previous clause. It is to intensify it. Okay? So Paul's not just sort of happy that Christ is being proclaimed um, in spite of his imprisonment. He's overjoyed. Right? Um, so, the, the, so those are some good things to note there. Um, Okay, so he's shifted now. He's rejoicing because, his, um, because Christ is being proclaimed. Um, he's grateful for their prayers, right? I, and so uh, that's where we understand, right, they just sent uh, Epaphroditus to bring a gift to him and news from the congregation. And he probably said, We're, we regularly are remembering you in our prayers, right? So he's thanking them for that. Um, with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So, he's imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't bother him, but he's hopeful that he'll be delivered from prison. Right. So it's not wrong for Christians to want to not be in jail. Right? Um, but grounding under that is the reality that if it advances the gospel, so be it. Right? Um, and this is, I think, the thing that always people are envious of Paul about. And his attitude, right, is that in all these crazy circumstances, being driven from towns, beaten, (laughs) arrested, like constantly slandered, he still has this joy. Um, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always with Christ, or as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, right? So, eager expectation and hope that he'll be released, but even if he's not Christ will be glorified and honored mm-hmm. um, and then and then we get to our theme verse for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain and you can already see in what we read so far that's kind of a guiding spirit a guiding attitude by the way that he's speaking here right because if he's if this is sort of his defining understanding about his life that points to all the stuff we've talked about as to why his imprisonment isn't crushing him Right, but instead is, he's viewing that as an opportunity for the gospel to be advanced. Because he really views his life in this way. That to live means I get to serve Christ more. But to die is even better because then I will be with Christ. Right? Now I want you to think about that for a moment. That is sort of the radical nature of what Christ calls us to. right? In, in faith. And i think it's of a particular struggle for us in america in modern times because we just have so much stuff we have so much affluence so many opportunities which of course are blessings from god but it's very easy for those multitudes of blessings to distract us from the main blessing and the thing that's supposed to be orienting our life and so um I felt this about myself, I certainly observe it as a pastor at times, and I'm sure you felt it about yourself as well, that sometimes it seems that the main thing gets the marginal time and the marginal effort. Um, And thankfully for us, most of us are not being called by God to face imprisonment and beatings and slander and those sorts of things. But he does call us to make sacrifices. Maybe it is the sports scenario that you are called to Maybe nobody else spoke up but you did, and now you're that weird Jesus freak guy that made such a big deal about going to a baseball game on Sunday. Pastor. Well if that was Paul, he would rejoice that even though it was a difficult situation, who was placed front and center?
2: Jesus. Christ.
0: Right? And maybe that they, they they're not gonna pay attention to it now, but Christ was there. Um, and so for him if you're viewing your life in that way those difficulties all of a sudden they turn into opportunities to actually do the thing we all try to do which is bear witness about Christ right.
4: Right. Yeah. yeah for me to to live as Christ and to die as Yeah. when I joined my St. Matthew Church uh, pastor there he gave me that as my confirmation verse. Oh, nice. Okay. When I first read it, I said, what's he talking about? <laughs> they told me about <laughs> Yeah. I only really understand what's going on here. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, when we talk about, so much of what we talk about as Christians is undergirded by this reality.
4: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Like, how can I have a peace that passes understanding? How can I have joy in the midst of suffering? How can mm-hmm. I be okay with my prayers not being answered the way I want them to be answered.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: None of that makes any sense unless the great tragedy of existence has been solved by God through Jesus. And that your life has been purchased and won, and right now is the sort of dress rehearsal for the real thing that will last into eternity. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, a really striking phrase. I uh, was told a story by my vicarage supervisor. He had a he had a um, a dad in his church. Um, <clears throat> he wasn't there by the time I got there, but like just a terrible, tragic car accident, and both his high school age daughters died. Oh. Right. So two daughters die at the same time, prime of life. Like, and the thought that kept him going in the midst of that was a thought along this line along these lines we're discussing now is knowing not only are his daughters not dead they're alive mm-hmm. and that they're with the one person who can love them perfectly better than he can mm-hmm. right? uh, and that he's going to see him again and so like when we talk about joy in the midst of suffering it's not a sort of meaningless statement we really mean that that you can actually have joy you're not just putting on a good face mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we minimize the suffering or pretend it doesn't happen or that it isn't real suffering it definitely is real suffering but your joy is real too and the the real joy gets the last word over the real suffering right? mm-hmm. and um, and it's important for us to keep that in mind
2: and that's like the song, It Is Well With My Soul. That wasn't written out of joy. That was written out of suffering. And right.
0: right. <clears throat> or I, I, I don't know if you know the, the story of the pastor who wrote the song Amazing Grace, but he did like 10,000 funerals or something crazy like that
4: wow.
0: um, because of <clears throat> war. And he wrote that song in the middle of all that.
4: Wow. Right?
0: Right. Because we cling to that sort of hope and those promises when in this world they seem to not be true. And, and that is what Paul is expressing here in this, this theme verse we have. Okay, um, <clears throat> I'll read the next couple here. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced of this i know that i will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in christ jesus because of my coming to you again
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right so so he expounds a little bit more on what he means in that that verse 21 phrase right for me to live is christ and to die is gain if i am to live in the flesh right in other words if it isn't that I am to be executed. Um, <clears throat> that means fruitful labor for me, right? That means that God must have more work for me to do, to advance the gospel and service to you. Right? Um, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, right? In other words, like it's a it's a hard choice, right? Which is an interesting thought. When is the last time you thought about? Dying versus living as a hard choice. Is that my phone? No, that was. No. Oh, okay. I have like the same alarm sound. So <laughs> wasn't sure if I had a weird alarm on or something. Um, so, like, I mean, think about that for a moment. I, there was a the Apostle Paul movie that came out maybe five years ago. Jim Caviezel plays Luke, and there's a scene in that where they he gets arrested along with some other Christians, and they're put under the Colosseum and it's like before they're about to be sent up to basically just be murdered for the the enjoyment and entertainment of other people. And there's a real heavy you know feeling about the people there they they're feeling despondent and despairing which given the context makes sense. And Luke reminds them that this is going to be a short gateway into the real the real thing that they're being promised. And that their suffering will end and their joy will continue. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. and it's just a really beautiful scene and it just like reminds them where their hope lies. Right? Mm-hmm. Because when you are faced with this scary, imminent reality that, that is trying to overwhelm you, it can be hard to keep focused on Christ. Yes. Because he can seem far away or it can seem like I've been praying to him and he didn't answer my prayers and he did answer your prayers. He did that on the cross. And so it may be better for you and for the person you're praying that he doesn't answer your prayer the way you want it to be answered. Uh, and it may be time for him to call you to your home right where, where you're going to be there forever. Um, I remember reading an article after that uh, church shooting in Texas. What was that? Like 2018, 17, something like that. Um, and there was widespread mocking in our culture of prayer oh Mm -hmm. thoughts and prayers a lot of good that did them Mm -hmm. thoughts and prayers Mm -hmm. and it it and it still isn't in in some circles a sort of mocking thing that like well you're not you don't really care about people because if you did you would do something Mm -hmm. thoughts and prayers Mm -hmm. is pointless right Mm -hmm. which i mean if you're not a believer makes sense Mm -hmm. but for those of us who are believers Thoughts and prayers, we probably wouldn't say thoughts, we would just say prayers. Like we're praying for you, our prayers are are for you. And, um, And there was an article written by a Lutheran pastor after that addressing how we should view that and respond to that. And his thing was, they were delivered from evil. right? Because I think the prevailing opinion was they weren't delivered from evil. That God allowed his children to be killed. And he said, the, the prayer about being delivered from evil was not to be relieved of suffering in this life. <coughs> they were delivered from evil, and God was doing that in that moment when he called them to himself. Mm-hmm. Because as Christians, our hope is in the life that is to come, not in this one. Right? And so Paul really is, is emphasizing this sort of vision, or you could think of it as like a, I think of it sometimes as a greater context. So... Here's the world. Here is what Jesus <coughs> reveals to us. Right? So Paul is like, you should now be looking at all of this in light of this reality that's been revealed to you in Jesus. And the things that happen here and only here are of very little consequence to you anymore. Because you have this. Right? And so imprisonment. No big deal, the gospel's being advanced. I'm going to live in eternity in the kingdom of God, face to face with Jesus. Like that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at, that's what I'm for. And so Paul always has this in, and you and you're probably thinking of other passages you know from his letters that emphasize this point. He always has this firmly in his vision. Right? It's a good thing he does because he suffers quite a bit in this space. Yes. Right? And pretty regularly. And for us, it's difficult. I think in some ways, it's more difficult for us than it is for Paul because Paul doesn't have long periods of time where he's under the illusion that this place is super great.
1: Right?
0: Um, and sometimes we are. That's why things like what happened in Israel a few weeks ago or things in your own individual lives that just come out of nowhere are so shocking is because they remind us that this isn't a great place and it's not, it's not what it's supposed to be. And that's why Jesus came. That's why I know about this greater reality. And that's why my hope is in that. Right? Um, okay. <clears throat> so um, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part me with Christ, but for that is far better. Right? Um, and he's just speaking for himself there. And then he says, "But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Right? So essentially, it's if. Um, you need help not snoozing that? Are you snoozing yeah. it?
4: Well, yeah, I, I turned it, <laughs> put it on silent, it's still.
0: Well, if you have an alarm set, if you're snoozing it, it's just going to go off every, like, however much time you yeah. set for snooze. No, it's
4: not a snoozing thing, it's just a message coming through. So, oh, uh, oh, okay. Gotcha. So I guess, I don't know, I guess the, putting it on silent doesn't do anything. You're like too it. Do you on on have, ball. like,
0: a switch on the side or something that. I can help you with that later.
4: <laughs> okay. put it um, on the desk <laughs> so it's it's
0: more necessary for them that he remain and so he says convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so essentially what he's saying here is I'm turning it over to God if he still has more for me to do here on account of you and your progress in the faith then I'll be here if not I will die and go and be with Christ which is far better mm. right Speaking for himself. All right. Uh, Verse 27
3: through 30. So I'm going to read that. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear omen to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god for it has been granted to you that for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now here to be mine
0: all right thank you so what does he mean by let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ? It sounds like a, yeah. you got to do things. So what do you think he's saying there? How does someone live a life worthy of
1: Christ? Well, my translation saying that um what you do what your enemies do, they will see this as a sign of their downfall. But for you it will be a clearer sign from God that He is with you and that He has given you eternal life with Him.
0: That's a little further down.
1: We're up at twenty seven. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. okay. What is your say on twenty-seven? But whatever happens to me, remember always to live as Christians should, so that whether I see you again or not I will keep on hearing good reports Mm
0: -hmm. so it's the same question right what is the how should Christians live
4: what is the life you have Christ's example and he gave himself to suffer for us Mm -hmm. and so when we are suffering we're we're participating in that
0: okay but this seems a little more sweeping than that right only let your manner of life not just when you're suffering but in total be worthy of the gospel of Christ.
1: Remain faithful.
0: Remain faithful. How would I do that?
1: Your little example was a good, the picture was good earlier. Christ is the bigger picture. Okay, the world okay. Is not.
0: And so when Christ is the bigger picture, and we get a little bit of this earlier <laughs> what we read of Paul, how does your life look different as a Christian? You're not concerned
4: the world yeah, Christ. mm-hmm.
0: right. Your goal is totally different. And if your goal is different, the manner in which you live naturally is different. Now, that can be heard to mean shape up and start doing the things you're supposed to be doing. right? Are you Christians or what? But that doesn't seem to jive with other things Paul writes about, like how... The only thing I should be boasting in is in the Lord, Mm -hmm. for I have done nothing. You know, I, I, my salvation has nothing to do with me. I can't boast in my own self, but here it sounds like there's some boasting going on. Like, you know, like he's telling you to do things worthy of boasting. So, how do we understand that as Lutherans? It's because of God's grace that Mm -hmm. our faith makes us do. The good works. Okay. Ephesians Mm 2. Okay. So we talked about, uh, in the prayer, I used the image of being a tree by streams of living water, right? Mm -hmm. Our understanding of living water is the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so what what happens to that tree if it separates itself from the word of God? It dies, right? It doesn't bear good fruit because it doesn't have the things it needs, mm -hmm. right? So you combine that with our understanding that salvation in Christ is extra nos, which is a Latin phrase meaning outside of us, Uh right? That means if something is outside of you that you need, how do you get it? It has to be given to you. Right? You don't possess it within yourself already. It has to be given. And where is it given? In the Bible. And where else? The sacraments, right? Or in short form, it would be it's given through the church this is the reason that Christ established the church, it's the reason that Paul is establishing congregations in his missionary journeys, and he's writing to them, is that the source of a life worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ is Christ himself, right? And Christ himself has promised to come to you by certain means that he's given to the church to bring to you because that stuff that you need from Jesus is not in you, it must be brought to you, right? Right? And so, conversely, how do you not live in a manner worthy of Christ, the gospel of Christ?
3: Because you don't
2: go to church, you don't read your Bible.
0: All right, don't go to church, you don't read your Bible.
2: don't fellowship.
0: Don't fellowship, okay.
2: You want to be the God of your own life.
0: You want to be the God of your own life.
2: I'll do
0: what I want. I've got my own goals. Yeah. Some of you look a little skeptical. <laughs> or this uncomfortable. Makes me
1: sad thinking about some of the uh, members of Ascension who came extremely regularly, but don't come anymore after COVID. Yeah. Oh. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Are we good
0: with that? I'm going to say yes and no. I'm going to say yes and no because you probably, like, reacted to those phrases a little bit like, that doesn't seem to be like the whole thing.
1: Right.
0: Right. Um, because it's, those can be interpreted in an in incorrect way. So, why should you come to church?
1: To receive the word of God.
0: <laughs> to receive the things that God wishes to give you. Not in order to be a quote-unquote good Christian. Oh, right? yeah. There's a lot of confusing language about this because the impression that a lot of people get, and it's not an accident they get it because it's often talked about this way, is that, well, a good Christian, a person whose life is worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ, well, they go to church, dang it. And then if you say why, they're like, because you do. right. It's important to know the why. It's important to know the why because it totally changes your understanding of the activity. If your reason for coming to church and thinking I should go to church is the stuff that is given to me there I desperately need is very different than I guess I'll go because my pastor's going to get mad at me if I don't. Well, <laughs> right. um.
4: oh, Yeah, and that attitude does more than just <coughs> think you attend more frequently. Yes. Yeah. But uh, you want to be there, right, right, right. and you'll you'll jump any hurdle to allow you to be able to do that if it is ever um taken away from
0: you right right exactly i the one of the pastors i have a lot of respect for and i i i talked to him a lot about um the worship bible study that i just finished um and he said when he first started out at his church he had one goal in mind when it came to worship and that was I want this to be a place that people will walk through fire and crawl over glass to get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so his emphasis is always on the, the amazing gifts that are being given here and living as if you really believe that's true. Because if you believe that the divine gifts of God and Jesus are given to you when you come to church on Sunday, why the heck would you go anywhere else?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, really. Is there anything better than that? Can you come up with <coughs> anything better than that? I can't. Right? And so, like, state championship baseball game, hanging out with my family in a cabin on the lake, that's junk compared to what I get at church. But we don't talk about church that way. When was the last time somebody said, what did you do over the weekend? He said, well, I died and came to life again, and I went and had dinner with my, uh, my family who's died in the faith. Like, I went to heaven for a little bit. That's what you're doing on Sunday.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what you're doing. Right? Heaven is coming to you in Jesus through His Word and through His sacraments, you're dying and being made alive in Him, right? And when you talk about church that way, as as Kurt's pointing out, you start to naturally think like, even if I don't fully understand what that guy's talking about, I want to check that out. That sounds, that doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard of before, right? Which makes sense because we belong to another world,
4: right?
0: Um, in Jesus, we belong to another world. C.S. Lewis has this great quote it's actually the, the background of my computer screen at home where he says like, if I find within myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy it stands to reason that I was made for another world mm. and he's talking about that, that tension in the, in the Christian life right? that we're going to engage and make decisions and do things and live in ways that people who aren't a part of the kingdom of God think is bizarre or in some cases evil But we know we've got the bigger context, right? Just like Paul. Like, just imagine, like somebody you know, you're you're a friend of Paul's, but you you don't believe what Paul believes, and he's like willingly going into towns knowing he's going to get beaten and possibly thrown in jail for saying things, and they've got to be like, this dude is cuckoo. (laughs)
4: Like,
0: why the heck are you doing that? And he's like, because this is the best stuff there is, and I want everyone to know about and God's asked me to share that with those people. And so that's you know that's how that should change the way we view those things. So a manner a life worthy of the gospel of Christ is being where he's asked you to be to receive the things he's given to you, which enables you to do all the other things that come to mind when somebody says, how should you live as a Christian? Well, I should be kind to other people and I should serve them and I should give up and sacrifice from all those things. You won't do that if you're not receiving the gifts of God. You can't. That's the stuff that enables that to happen. And if you're not getting the stuff, it won't work. Because you don't have that within you. right? Okay. Um, Let's see. I've got ten minutes. Okay. Chapter two. Any other thoughts on that section there? That was kind of the main point of emphasis I had there. The part that you mentioned before, Janet, about this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God is your unity and your fearlessness. This is what he's referencing there? All right. So right before that, he said, "Are not frightened in anything by your opponents." Um, so, I mean, and Paul himself is a good example of that. Right? Paul sings in prison. Paul doesn't leave when his jail cell opens and he can walk out. Paul's rejoicing while he's imprisoned in Rome, right? That's weird. People take note of that, right? And they think either, right, he says here that this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Even if they don't understand that, people are envious of that kind of attitude about life. People seek that out. I mean, they make movies about that stuff all the time. Somebody whose life is in a spiral and they... They leave their job and go somewhere else to try and find the secret of being content and, and at peace. Um, and we know where that secret lies, right? Well, okay.
4: I
3: think is hard to <clears throat> understand is when the prison gates were all open, everybody stayed. And that mm-hmm. seems strange to me that mm-hmm. everybody would be affected in a way that they stayed there.
0: Does it seem stranger than an angel <laughs> causing an earthquake and opening all the doors? <laughs> but I mean, I mean yeah, really, like, like that's a that's kind of a supernatural scenario. So I've always kind of lumped that, that like your question. Yeah. The answer to that is is the same as, well, why did God send an angel yeah. at this particular prison to shake the foundations of the building and open all the doors? Well, he just decided to, <laughs> and then for whatever reason the spirit moved everyone there not to leave. Right. That'd be from Paul's mind Right, they're following Paul's example. Maybe I mean there could be there could but be words that were spoken that aren't aren't recorded in the text. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, it, it could also be God had a purpose for that interaction, and when He has a purpose for something, He's not going to be thwarted. So I don't know. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Yeah. You can ask them when you get there. That's right. There you go. <laughs> okay. Add it to the list. You, you I'm going to make it. <laughs> I, I think about it. It's just really funny. It's like I've, I've thought about it before. I'll add it to the list of the things. And I, I think the great irony will be I'll have this list I've been building up my whole life. And when I get there, I won't want to ask any of the questions. I won't care anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to ball it up and toss like it and that. walk through the gates. i, mean, I just forget the um, list. <laughs> yeah. all of that, that doesn't really matter anymore. This looks way better than anything I thought of, so let's just go with that. Okay, Um, Christ's Example of Humility, Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, Mm -hmm. having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, Mm -hmm. even death on a cross. Okay, so what's his big emphasis here in this section of verses to start off chapter 2? Don't
1: make it about yourself.
0: Don't, you know, be hung Yeah, okay, so don't make it about yourself, humility. What is that, that humility serving? There's a purpose to the humility that he calls out there.
1: Humble, thinking of others as better than yourself.
0: Okay, so one of those is the care of other people, right? You're not so caught up in your own wants and needs that you forget to care about other people. There's even, even more core thing in there that's expressed. I think.
1: Don't make a good impression of yourself. Like, I mean, don't live to make. That's still kind of in the same line there. Oh yeah. Don't just think about your own affairs.
0: So he says this phrase, complete my joy by doing what?
4: Being of the same
0: mind. So the the humility and the serving nature of things is describing what that mind is like. In other words, you're going to orient your lives around this new spirit that you've been given in Christ. And you're going to be united in that. And part of that is that you are humble yourselves and other people's concerns are of more account to you than your own. But that serves this unity of having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right, so um, how often do you think of that when you think of church? In my experience, the first thing that comes to most people's minds, whether they're former church members or current church members, is the dumb stuff that church people argue about. I hear about it a lot. Yes. Right? And I myself participated in that, don't get me wrong. Right, My first call, there was an office being that was supposed to be put in because I was taking an office and they needed to put another one in, and... They argued about the details of that for a year and ended up making the same decision that was originally proposed. Uh, of course. <laughs> and you can look at that and you just thinking, that was stupid, pointless, and just a waste of time. Right? Yeah. And for many people, that's the kind of stuff they think of when they think of church. Now, that's kind of not fair, because I think part of the reason that that comes to people's minds is they actually, for better or for worse think church is supposed to be different and that's why those things are so glaring to them right yeah. that happens at work and maybe in their own family mm-hmm. but they're just like not surprised by that at church this isn't supposed to happen that's why it's it sticks in my head so much right yeah thought back there
2: so if, if that's saying that we need to be you know of one mind and one spirit is, is that also what we were talking about the last or the last chapter about uh, be worthy of the gospel of Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A sore type of way of thinking.
0: Yeah. And and it involves this humility and this submission, right? Yeah. So the part of the, the fallen nature from the very beginning, and it's even the line that's used to tempt Eve to take the bite, is that you'll be like what? God, God, God. God knowing yeah. good and evil. In other words, you have to look out for you.
1: Yeah.
4: Right?
0: And when you're looking out for you, conflict is natural. Because that means no one else is looking out for me. They're all looking out for themselves. And so if I'm not looking out for me, no one's looking out for me.
2: And you
4: can't
0: help others. Well, well, I don't want to help others because i got to make sure I get mine. right? If I get mine, then maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But only if they're nice to me. Um, and that's a never-ending cycle. And so the, the manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ is one lived in submission to the gospel of Christ. Right? And so the big emphasis of that is, what do you do when you come to church and I say something or the scriptures say something you don't like? That's the real test,
4: right? Because
0: it's easy to submit when you're like, "Yep, yeah, preach it, that's great, yeah, yeah, I like that, right? But when it's like, oh, I don't like that. Maybe I don't like it because... It pointed out something that I've had guilty thoughts about, about maybe the way I'm spending my time, or a decision I made this last week, or whatever it is. I don't feel comfortable. And, like, uh, I'm just going to ignore that part. Now, we're very firm about, you can't just cut the parts of Scripture out that cause you struggle. It's the Word of God, or it's not the Word of God. And if it's the Word of God, then that's for you, too. And so, even it's really interesting This this the same pastor I talked about who his goal was to make the worship service something that you were desperate to get to in the, the catechumenate that they do their new member class I listen to some of them online and he'll tell people if you don't want suffering don't come here
1: oh, yeah.
0: oh. or if you want if you want somebody to just tell you all the things you want to hear this isn't the place for you because mm-hmm. you're not going to get that here and like and the point he's making is, the devil doesn't care about you right now, but he will. Right? You're putting a target on your back. So if you, if you don't want to engage in the fight, if you don't want to be known by the enemy, don't come here.
1: Right?
0: He's being honest with them about, this is, this is what happens. Right? And so the, the life that is submitting to the gospel of Christ is essentially saying in everything, I'm going with what he says. That's why we still believe that communion is the very body and blood of Jesus, even though your brain is roaring at you all the time. How? How does that work? When does it happen? That's weird. It doesn't taste like it. Right? And we, we hold to what Luther said. I'm going to go with what the guy who rose from the dead said. Right? That's why. That's all I need. Right? And so for us, this really emphasizes when, when Scripture and my reason come into conflict, who wins? Scripture wins every time. Now, that doesn't mean that you just say, like, well, I don't understand, so, oh well, no, right? Like, if you've been a Lutheran for any stretch of time, you know that isn't the way we do things, right? We often go too far in the other direction, like hyper-scrutiny of the text to the point where most people are like, I don't even care anymore.
1: <laughs> okay?
0: um, so, but it is a recognition that if God is really who he claims to be, I'm not going to understand everything he's up to. I have to reconcile myself to that reality. And when it happens, I submit myself to him. Right? That's what the whole book of Job is about. Right? Because all of Job's friends are wrong. Job is right. And they try to explain away the problem that God does things we don't, we don't understand. And that he can because he's God. Right? Um, and at the end, that's the answer. I'm going to trust in you what other alternative do i have right and in the case of jesus you don't want any other alternatives you got the best one right um, okay so we'll pick up um, verse 9 in chapter 2 next week um, so and i would encourage you again to continue just reading the whole book um, whenever you have time to do it listen to it in the car all that kind of thing um, as as we're going through this not only because it'll benefit your time in class but I have to tell you, whenever I've done stuff like that, I remember I took a Gospel of Matthew class, and he told us every week in that class, it was a 10-week class, to read the whole Gospel of Matthew. And I did it. And there's a lot you pick up on when you read all of that in a short period of time, as opposed to just bits and pieces here and there. So, um, And if, you, if something really jumps out at you because of that, please share it in the class. That would be great. We can all benefit from it. All right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer.